Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. It is good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to remind you that next week we will have a special business meeting of the church. It will occur as close to after the morning service as we can. It should be about 12 o'clock approximately. Uh, Members will be able to vote on the recommendation from the local uh, board of authority as they have uh, after much prayer after checking references, consulting with Dr. Babby, and several other things, have uh, done their best to discern the will of God for this congregation. Now, you're sitting there saying, but I'm not a member, but I worship here regularly, and I'm concerned for the ministry of the church here, and I want you to know that we have provided a way for you also to give us your understanding of God's will And so we invite you to come as well. There will be a ballot here for you to use so that you can give us your understanding. And we trust, and the top of the ballot is labeled, interesting, not yet a uh, a member is the way the top of that particular ballot is labeled. And the reason for that is because I know some of you were planning to go through the membership class uh, this summer, and Pastor Gordon uh, became ill, and that wasn't possible. So we're still interested. We still want to know what you think. And so I trust this week you will be praying and considering what what God has for you. Uh, This selection was done. As you can see, if you look at the insert, this was done according to the instructions of the Wesleyan Discipline and at the direction of Dr. Babby. And so uh, this is, we would like you to be here next week for that meeting following the morning service probably about 12 o'clock. Now, the one thing I would say to you, if there's some reason you really can't be here, besides the fact you want to sleep in, uh, we do have an arrangement for an absentee ballot. And so if you'll see Ken Williams or Aniko, uh, they will be able to tell you how to go about getting uh, an absentee ballot if you cannot be here. This has been uh, a big responsibility. In fact, what I would tell you, I have, in, in the positions that I've held in the church in the past, at a district level, I have done what Dr. Babby does in terms of helping churches find new pastors and in giving them direction on how to go about doing that. I find this side of the table, table to be much more stressful than that side of the table. And uh, we have been praying and we are concerned, and as you could imagine, this was not an easy decision. And so your support and your prayers will be much appreciated. Much appreciated. 
Well, this morning, our scripture is 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, which was just read for you. One of the things that we need to understand today is that our society is in trouble. Many of the values that we have always accepted in the past have been abandoned by many people or at least are in question by many people. Now, always in the past, let's, let's not think in terms of this being absolutely brand new. Always in the past, we have said that these values were important and much of our society didn't practice them. But at least they understood they were important. They were important for them to deal with. And today, we seem to have a shift in perspective uh, that I don't believe is healthy for our nation. And we have to ask, why is it that 51% of households are not, do not have a married couple in them? Why is it that the percentage of young people deciding to live together without the benefit of marriage ha- is on the increase as a percentage? Why is it that we have so many children living in single-parent families where the problem is not a person who's been widowed or a widower, but rather people who could not get along or didn't seem to be able to get along in their marriage. And so we have a higher and higher uh, rate of that. We see, it seems like in our society, and this is a seems like, and sometimes when I do a seems like, I try to figure out if it's because of my age, and, and I just didn't see it when I was younger, or whether it really is true, but it seems like to me that the work ethic is under attack. And an entitlement mentality is taking over. And this is not the United States that does that. This is not who we are. And then the question comes, why? And we can blame that on a lot of things. Interestingly enough, one of the things we can actually blame it on is relative affluence. Even in the midst of this recession, we are living at a higher standard of living than we were in the 1970s. Even in this time of recession, we are living in a higher standard of living than in the 1970s. And so it's just an interesting thing. Maybe part of our problem is affluence, where people can afford to live in one household, in a one-person household. Not very well. If you want to live in poverty, the quickest way to do it is to have a child out of wedlock That's one of the fastest ways to be in poverty. But there seems to be enough for people to get along. And there's sufficient government programs for people to get along. And so people are not encouraged by the economic consideration to continue to practice the morality that the scripture uh, provides. As we have this problem. And so it may be, at least in part, that fact that economically... Uh, we are in a tremendous place. Another fact may be that as you watch television or as you go to movies, even when you're trying to watch television in programs that are relatively pure, still you have people who meet each other, say they like each other, and go to bed with each other, all within an hour. And not only that, the next week, they have a new person that they meet and that they like and they go to bed with. And so there is an encouragement in our entertainment industry, industry that partially reflects the society and partially leads the society. 
that leads us into questioning the morality that we have adopted from a scriptural base. And it's a problem. Now, I'm not here today to get on the top of some of you who have had very unfortunate circumstances and you are doing the best you can in the situation you're in. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to ask ask this question, though, and I ask it of the church. Is part of the problem the church? Is part of the reason why we're in this situation in the United States is because the church has not been the leader that it needed to be. And the people of the church have not been the people that they need to be. Well, my task here isn't to beat up on church either. But it is a question that we need to ask. And so I was reading this magazine, which is the Wesleyan magazine, Wesleyan Life. If you haven't seen it, pick one up. I believe there are some in the narthex. If there isn't, we'll get some there. But this comes out, I think, once a quarter. I read it every quarter. I would encourage you to read it every quarter. See, that's one of my commercials that I have. But it is great material. It gives you a good acquaintance with what's going on in the Wesleyan Church, but also gives you a good understanding of the theology and the ethical positions of the Wesleyan Church. Well, what I'm going to quote now comes directly out of this particular issue of the magazine, which is fall 2011. Does this vibrant and vi- what does this vibrant and visible church look like, the article says. How do we continue a solid impact on such an unsettled culture? We must, let me go back and say that again because I think that's really important, we must be accountable. We are a holiness church. The Wesleyan Church is part of that movement called the Holiness Movement. We are a holiness church. Our message of heart holiness should be obvious in our lifestyle. Our unsettled world needs to see solid belief lived out in authentic Christianity. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We have to understand that in our world. We have to understand that in our world, more than ever, needs more Christian activists than critics. Do as I say never works. Never works. It is never a substitute for do as I do. We cannot preach the reality of Jesus Christ without practicing his reality in our lives. Hour by hour, day by day, whether in the classroom, on the job, at home, and I'll add one more thing, or retired. Holy living demands holy hearts. A heart filled with love of Jesus has no room for divisive or defensive behavior. Acts 13.52 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Listen to that admonition. In order for us to truly transform the society in which we are in, we must first be a transformed people. It starts with me. It starts with us. 
we must live as the people of God. We must live as the people of God. If we are to be a vital, vibrant church that goes on into the future, proclaiming the good news of Christ, then we have to live that way. And there is no substitute. It is good that we are people that are concerned with the social issues of our culture. It is good that we are people that try to do things under the direction of God that will mitigate or solve some of these problems. But it's only good when we back it up with consistent Christian living. It's only good when we back it up with consistent Christian living. First Peter, the first chapter, which we read in the 13th verse, says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Christians are people that are blessed by grace. We are blessed by grace. What we usually say in the church, we are the recipients of unmerited favor. For those who haven't been raised in the church, what we're saying is, we are blessed by gifts from God that we didn't earn. That we didn't earn. God gave them to us. We are people that are blessed by grace. We arrived at the conclusion that scripture teaches and experience reinforces the importance of grace. I cannot be a Christian without God's grace, first and foremost, having called me to Christ, and second or for, and foremost, is, and second, who, that grace through his Holy Spirit leads me on. That's how it works. We are blessed with grace. We cannot cross from sin to righteousness in our own power. I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. Over the years, <clears throat> there have been many great men who have tried to look at their life and say, this is wrong with me, this is wrong with me, this is wrong with me, and so I have this plan and I'll fix it all. And I know of no case where they were successful. My favorite one is Benjamin Franklin. When Benjamin Franklin was a young man, he listed a group of things that he thought he needed to fix. And so he was determined for one month to work on one thing. And so he went through his whole entire list, one month at a time. That was the same Benjamin Franklin who had children out of wedlock, who was a, woman's, uh, a womanizer after this. After this, it, it's interesting, we have many great men who were not great entirely. They were great in certain areas, but they aren't lives that you would want to follow. And Ben is one of them. Ben is one of them. You don't want to be Benjamin Franklin, at least in his private behavior. But the point is that we cannot become what God calls us to be simply by our personal determination. But rather, as the old hymn that's, take, that's based on Psalm 42 says, He lifted me out of the miry clay. He settled my feet on the straight, narrow way. He lifted me up to a heavenly place and flooded my soul each day with his grace. We are the people of grace. We are gifted with grace. 
In Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. We are saved by the free gift of God, by the unmerited favor, by him giving to us something we did not deserve. We are saved by grace. What really interests me in that verse is, notice what he says about being saved by grace through faith. And he says, even that faith is not something you generate. The ability to have that faith is even a gift from God. And so it is. We are people gifted by grace, by unmerited favor, by gifts from God. And we need to live as those kinds of people. We need to live before our culture as those kinds of people. And so he goes on then in the, in the scripture and says, with minds, he goes on in this 13th verse, we know we are saved now because of the grace of God. We can hope for the future when Christ returns because of his grace. We have hope for now. I thought that was an excellent point that was made uh, by Pastor Dave. Our hope is not just for over there. We are not living simply to wait for death. By grace, we have hope now. But, having said that, we also have hope for over there. We know that when it comes time for us to to get rid of this outward covering that we live in right this minute and to go to be with Christ and that time in the future when we will receive the glorified bodies, in that time we know we have that because of the grace of God. And we can look forward to that. What I like to say, and I think scripture supports it, is physical death is simply an incident in life. Some of us who are here have been in the hospital. We've gone and come out. We didn't like it when we were there. We're glad we're out. Hopefully we're better because we went. Well, in my view, that's sort of the view of going to be with Christ after this, we're finished with this body. We're not looking forward to it because we don't know what's coming. Some of us are saying, I I don't fear death. What I fear is, will I be in pain before that? And friends, in my view, (laughs) that is a logical idea. But we need not fear death because of the grace of God. We live in that hope because of the grace of God. We are given hope in this life, and we are given hope in the life to come as well. So he goes on and he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober in this 13th verse. Or in other words, with a clear mind, not unduly influenced by emotions of elation or of fear. You know, I want you to feel saved. I want you to feel close to God. But did you check out lately that you are a human being? and that there are chemicals running through your body 
that affects how you feel? Did you ever notice that? And some days you wake up and you are ready to tackle the world. And other days, just getting out of bed is tough. And for some of you, you suffer, you struggle with depression or anxiety. Does that mean that God still doesn't live, love you? Does that mean you don't have the grace of God anymore? Is that what that means? Well, of course not. Because it is with sober mind. We make this decision based upon what the scripture says and what we know is true and not just how we feel at that moment. Not just that time. There will be times when we have trouble reaching God where we ask, where is he? I cannot feel him and I don't know where he is. And you know what happens there? It's the habits of faith that carry us through that time. It's the fact that I know that I am a Christian all the time, regardless of what the emotional situation is in which I am living right this minute, regardless of what the chemicals may be doing to me right now. But what I know is that in bad times and in good, in times when I feel great and in times when I feel so low, I still know that God loves me Amen. and I am blessed by God grace. Some of the things that I have learned through my life, through experience, is that sitting around telling myself how awful I feel doesn't solve anything. I let myself tell Beverly once, and then I try not to tell her again. Sometimes I just need to get it out and tell somebody. She's been most gracious to listen. At least I think, I think she's listening. But she's been most gracious to listen. But after that, I need to start claiming the promises of God. I need to go to Scripture and begin to look at what God has given me to encourage me. When those thoughts come up that are tearing me apart, it's part of the reason why I need to memorize Scripture. I need to memorize scripture so that I can turn that thought back on itself. And no. And no, sometimes I'm not over it the next day. Or the next week. Or the next month. Some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about. But still, it is by the grace of God that we claim his promises in scripture. And we live by that grace regardless of of how we feel or what is going on. And so, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed through his coming. And then he goes on in the 14th verse and says, As obedient children, I do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. That's God's message to us. That's the Holy Spirit's message to us. Satan and our human nature are always trying to pull us away from Christ. Those chemical feelings, those emotions are always trying to pull us away from Christ. Satan is there always trying to pull us away from Christ. I don't believe Satan makes us do anything. 
But I do think he cheers it on. And when he sees a crack, he steps in the crack and tries to widen it. I don't go around this world telling you that Satan is, is after me. Sometimes I feel that way. And sometimes I know it's that way. But what I know is the grace of God is sufficient. When I feel Satan is after me, the grace of God is sufficient to deal with it. It's sufficient to deal with it. The only solution that we have is grace and turning our lives over to the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us day in and day out. It is only the Holy Spirit that directs and empowers us. It's only as he directs and empowers that we have the possibility of living a life which is not given over to sin, or in other words, not given over to doing what we know better than to do, or not doing what we know as God is calling us to do, in the Wesleyan church, that's our understanding of sin for which we are responsible. In some churches, they talk about secret sins. I'm not concerned about things that I may have done that are not God's will that I know nothing about. What I'm concerned with is what I know. And I li- I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I must, with his help, strive to live a life that is consistent with what I know he wants. And that's what holiness is all about, interestingly enough. That's what it's all about. Holiness is all about that. It's living one day at a time. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, Do not be misled. That's not what the part I want to say. What to say is, one day at a time where he says in the 15th chapter also, I die every day. Paul understood that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified. Those are the terms we use in the Wesleyan Church. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified, but then we must renew that sanctification every day. Every day, every day. I don't think we need to renew it for God, we need to renew it for us. We're the ones that forget, not Him. And so we talk about that in the Wesleyan Church. We are saved and we are sanctified. Well, what do we mean? Well, what we mean is we're set aside for God's service. When we are sanctified, we are set aside for God's service. If we are set aside for God's service, then we must live a holy life. We cannot let sin dominate us. But we must allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through us so that we can live one day at a time in his will covered by his grace, living a holy life. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. We need to not be given over to sin because sin is rebellion against God. And if we are set aside for his service, we need to not be a rebellious people not be a rebellious people. Some will say that living a life above sin is absolutely impossible. You just simply can't live that way, brother gosh, you just can't do it. You can't live a life that is that holy every day. And you know what the answer to that is? If we believe we can't do it, then we can't do what God has told us to do. 
And I don't think God tells us to do anything that he will not empower us to do. One day at a time. One day at a time. I don't need to worry about next week. It's today. It's today. I choose to follow him today. Today. That's what I choose. I will follow him today. We are, are we saying, in saying it can't be done, that God's grace exhibits limitation? Is God's grace limited so it's not possible to do what the scripture calls us to do? The answer is, God forbid, it is not true. It is not true. God's grace is not limited. It's not limited to you. It's not limited to me. It's not limited in my life. God's grace is here. God can empower us to live a holy life with his help and his direction. We do not need to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. We don't have to. Not if we understand what we're talking about here. We don't have to. It is not by my power, however, that I can do that. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can do that. It's only as he sanctifies me day in and day out. It is only as I consecrate myself day in and day out. God is holy and he calls his people to be a holy people. What he calls us to be, he will empower us to be. Then you say, but Brother God, what if I fall? Well, I had children. And generally, I would tell you, they were really well-behaved kids. I was most fortunate as a father to have two children who were really well-behaved children. But you know, once in a while, what did I expect them to do? My daughter always did it really well. My daughter is incapable of doing something that she thinks maybe was wrong and not telling Beverly or I. Even as an adult, she's still incapable of doing that. So when she came and told us, what did we do about that? We put our arms around her. We gave her correction, punishment if necessary, direction, made sure she knew we loved her, and sent her back out into the world. What happens if you fall? What happens if you fall? We go back to the throne of grace. We are honest with God. And he will put his arms around us. Perhaps punish us. But then he will assure us of his love and send us back out to do his will. So not only do I believe we can live day by day, but if there's a time when we feel like we've fallen, God's grace is a blessing we have and it's still there. We don't ignore it. We go to God and we get rid of it. We go to God and we get rid of it. We don't ignore it. What if I am a person who's accepted Christ, but when I accepted Christ, I had a habit. And every now and then, that habit raises its ugly head again. Do I give up? I can't do it? No. Same thing. I go back to God. I lay it in his arms. I seek his understanding of what I should do. And he will put his arms around me and love me and send me back out to be his person. 
God is not finished with us. He's still working with us. But friends, having said that, it should not be the normal life of a Christian to live in sin every day. We don't have to. Why? Because we are people blessed by grace. God has given us the Holy Spirit. We can live day by day. And what the world needs more than anything else is the people of the church to be an example of how God calls us to live. What we say needs to be consistent with what we do and how we act. We are a child of God. God is calling us to be his holy people. As Christians, we are ready to consecrate. When we're ready to consecrate our lives to God entirely, he is ready to sanctify us and empower us for service. And so when we look at 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 9 through 10, it says this, but you, speaking of you, by the way, looking down through the ages and speaking of you and all the people like you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had, no, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are to be a people that are one in holiness. We are God's holy nation. We are a physical representation in this place, in Covina, of God's holy nation. We are one in him, and we are God's holy nation. Neighbor, neighborhood Christian fellowship must practice being those chosen people 